Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. And we'll just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Chad Dumas. He is an entrepreneur. You know how we do it around here. We bring on educators who are writing a book, they are selling a course, they're selling resources, or they have opened up their own coaching or consulting company. Uh, so for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Chad? Well, thank you so very much for having me. It's an honor to be able to engage with you, uh, you know, follow you on Twitter, and now to be able to actually meet you in person, so to speak, is uh, really an honor. So, uh, yeah, uh, edupreneur, uh, which I think you were the one who introduced me to that term. Um, I started as a classroom teacher back in the day in uh, Lincoln Public Schools. I was a music teacher, middle school music teacher, uh, then a professional developer for an intermediate service agency serving 30-some school districts, uh, high school principal, in a small district that was a 712 principalship uh, that I was able to open a brand new building in that process. Uh, then a central office uh, director of learning in a high poverty, high diversity district in South Central Nebraska that when I arrived was identified by the state as, uh, and don't you love this, this term, uh, a persistently lowest achieving school, right? Uh, not just the lowest achieving, but uh, persistently lowest achieving you know we don't need to you know kick you in the gut but you know kick you in the gut and smack you in the face too you know um and uh within uh, about four years the first out of what became five out of seven schools became recognized as national models um for be improving student learning and that was because we were doing the work of professional learning communities um after two decades of service in Nebraska, my wife and I were empty nesters and we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, we never intended to stay in Nebraska all this time. We should do something different. And so our different was Iowa. <laughs> and uh, in, uh, I was the executive director of elementary education in Ames, Iowa. So I went from Nebraska to Iowa. And uh, during my time in Ames, um, prior to the pandemic, and then really uh, early on as it started going, made the decision that, you know, um, uh, I was coming to the realization that I had knowledge and skills that would be helpful for a larger number of districts, a larger number of leaders and teachers, and that uh, those skills and knowledge would be best leveraged in doing consulting and putting this work out there for the rest of the world. And so um, so that's what I've been doing since uh, July 1st of 2020, uh, full time. You know, I've written a couple of books, you know, doing some courses here and there, uh, courses for some different organizations, some consulting, became a Solution Tree associate. So I'll be doing more work with Solution Tree. Um, but yeah, that's uh, kind of a, in, a, in a nutshell who I am. All right. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. Yeah. What did you think you'd be doing when you were growing up and how did you find yourself in a classroom? <laughs> well, it's such a great question, you know. Um, so when I was in elementary school, early elementary school, you know, went through the phase of wanting to be a firefighter and police officer and, you know, did the junior firefighter league thing where you went down to the fire station and, you know, 
practice putting out fires and all those types of things. Um, but uh, then kind of went through a phase where I, I thought I really wanted to be a scientist and uh, probably third, fourth, fifth grade, really wanting to do that work. And somewhere uh, in, in fifth grade, I remember very clearly, I was uh, down at the elementary school, three or four blocks from the house, shooting hoops. I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I go down there and, and shoot some hoops. And there was a gentleman there. I don't know. He seemed old to me. He was probably 20. <laughs> but, you know, here I am, a nine or 10 year old. And, and he started shooting hoops with me. And he asked the same question, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to be a scientist. And he said, oh, are you good at math? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, no, I'm serious. Are you really good at math? Because you have to do a lot of math to be a scientist. I mean, and he, you know, rattled off all these names of courses and this and that. And it scared me. Um, and I thought, well, maybe maybe I can't be a scientist because um, maybe I'm not that good at math because this guy is saying it's really hard. And he has a brother who did a lot of math and couldn't do it. And so so then I was kind of like in this, well, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up phase, you know, perfect time going into middle school. Right. Uh, you know, got enough coming at you that, that all of a sudden now, you know, this uh, stool was kicked out from underneath me. And um, I just knew that I wanted to serve humanity. And in high school, I was fortunate to have amazing teachers and a band director who really connected with, with his students and with me. Um, Virgil French was his name, is his name. And um, I just loved music. I was a musician before that and you know, loved, loved what he did. And um, after my year of service after high school, when I came back to start at the university, I knew that I could not be a performer um, because in order to be a performer and make it uh, in the music world, you've got to be really good. I mean, like not just good, you've got to be really, really, really good. And I can't emphasize that enough, right? And I knew that in my mind, I wasn't going to be that good to make it as a performer, but I love music. So I thought back on my high school years and the great teachers I had and well, throughout my career as, as, a, as a student, and thought, you know what? I can combine music with education. I can be a music educator. And so that's, that's you know, then, you know, a lot of happy accidents happened along that way to then lead me into being a, a music teacher and then, you know, <laughs> further development along the road. Mm. So you have had these experiences uh, along your journey uh, as well as, you know, getting out here, uh, writing, speaking, uh, consulting, working with teachers in school districts. What are your thoughts on the current state of K through 12 education and what are you seeing people getting right? Yeah, uh, current state and what are we, what are we getting right? Um, well, current state, uh, I, I tend to be an optimist. So first of all, you should know that and listeners know that. So I uh, probably have some rose colored glasses on, but I do think that the uh, challenges that have presented themselves to us over the last little over a year with the pandemic, that challenges that have been there before, but the pandemic has shined a new light on these challenges and over, um, emphasized, uh, given added emphasis to the challenges. And the challenges I'm specifically thinking about are inequities in student performance outcomes and in the importance of social justice these two in particular. And I think that this, this state of education has given us this opportunity to really address these um, better, more purposefully um, together. 
and um, and and I think schools are trying to do it. We've got a long way to go, uh, but I'm encouraged by the signs that I'm seeing that, that that the recognition at least is there. Whereas before, maybe we didn't even recognize it. You know, um, I'm not very familiar with the 12-step process of you know uh, a a a, but my understanding is one of the early steps is recognition. Right, you got to recognize that you've got a problem, and I think that as a system that there's more and more recognition that we're not meeting the needs of all kids and that social justice has to be, and social action has to be a part of the equation that we can't just figure we're gonna, you know, take these kids as blank slates and fill them full of <laughs> reading, writing, and arithmetic and then set them free. No, there has to be some elements of understanding what does justice mean? What does it mean to serve each other? What does it mean to be a civilization that continues to advance itself and get better year to year generation to generation. Mm. It's interesting that you say that because quite honestly, we live in a country that doesn't act like that. Um, you know, I mean, unfortunately, one of the problems is you have a government that is quote unquote, uh, for the people, by the people, but we elect a lot of people who have not a lot of experience in a lot of stuff. And they are responsible for passing laws. Oh, some serious stuff, right? So you have a lot yep. of non-educators yep. who become senators and they become congressmen, uh, or they even can join the you know local city council or whatever sort of local government you have set up. Yep. And yep. their job is responsible for sort of passing laws and how this sort of stuff operate, and they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And you know, you see how education is, is is structured, and we have we have far too many standards. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yes. and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's far too many. Uh, I don't like, I don't mind end of the year assessments, but what bothers me is the school system is designed around mm -hmm. yeah. yeah those assessments just filling out a bubble, right? There's no doing. Right. In, anymore. Yeah. Because, you know, instead of doing, let's say, uh, mm -hmm. a reader writer's workshop, people have these canned curriculum that's about direct instruction because that test is going to be A, B, C, D, drag, drop, you know, drop down, whatever. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. And it's funny because they call them enhanced <laughs> questioning, but it's still you picking it's still an A, B, C, D type situation. You still right. even if you're going to yeah. drag it, you're still dragging an answer. <laughs> that someone is giving you <laughs> to over here. Yep. And so when you talk about this compassion and I'm thinking, wow, there's just not a lot of that going on. Like, you know, people don't care about their neighbor and, and you can at me when you hear this podcast, but the fact that someone, you know, the, the, a school system can say we're going to give free lunch to everyone regardless and actually have people in the community go what right yeah. why should people do that i'm like it's children dude anybody no one is saying we're going to feed the faculty we're saying right. we're going to feed children right uh, so when you are looking to do this type of work 
but that's a different approach uh, that, that I take. What are some of the challenges you come across when you are doing this? And what do you do with the pushback mm-hmm. when someone, maybe because of their upbringing or their political ideology, that they feel the work you're doing has no role in public education? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm really glad you raised that because as as I said, I'm kind of a uh, an optimist. <laughs> and so I do tend to look at glasses half full and you're absolutely right. That doesn't mean that there's, that there's uh, problems and challenges and difficulties and they're very real challenges and difficulties and you raised several of them um, and, and we have to address them. And the way I tend to address them um, and I think I've had some fairly decent uh, success with that work is by listening to folks and uh, not just listening uh, and be, being silent, but in engaging in uh, what I refer to as the three plus one um, specific skills that as a collaborator and as an inquirer, I use and anybody can use to help build understanding because that's the first step, right? Is building shared understanding. And so these, these three plus one skills are, first of all, the plus the one, I should have called it the one plus three, but it doesn't sound as good. But the one is like the, the foundations being in rapport with others. So instead of escalating and getting into fighting matches, we're in physical rapport with each other. And that means that I, um, if I know about rapport, will do things to, to work to be in physical rapport with that other person, to mirror their body language, to mirror their voice tone, to mirror the uh, the. Uh, their intensity and volume. So this, this sense of rapport. So that's the, the plus one. And then the three skills that go along with the rapport is are pausing, paraphrasing, and posing questions. And, and in that order. And, and now that sounds like very simple. And some people might say, Chad, you're very simple-minded. You don't really understand when people come at you, they're intense. Well, first of all, I do understand. I've been in those situations and people do come after you and it works. When somebody comes after me or you, a good breath will do wonders. You know, it gives us a chance to pause. It gets the blood flowing, the oxygen going to the brain. It gets the oxygen moving up to the front of the brain where the prefrontal cortex is, the thinking part of the brain. It gets us out of the amygdala, the reactive, some people call it the reptilian part of the brain. So this this pausing really does work wonders that just by pausing signals to someone that I'm listening, that I'm thinking, and it can help us get into better rapport as well by taking that, that deep breath. So that's the first skill. The second is then to paraphrase back. Uh, too many times we are not listening to understand, but instead we're listening to respond. Uh, that doesn't build understanding. It doesn't help with conflict. By paraphrasing, it does two things. It helps that person know that they've been understood. And secondly, it helps me know that I've understood. <laughs> and so an accurate pa- paraphrase can help that other person and help that build and build that understanding it helps both of us. And then third, posing questions. 
And of course it has to be in this order. So I'm pausing first and then I'm paraphrasing. And then if we, if we both understand, then posing questions. So like in the example that you gave around, um, you know, school lunches for kids. So a question might be, um, so tell me about um, solutions that you might have as you think about the issue of children being hungry in our classrooms and how we might address that, right? After pausing and paraphrasing the posing question. So, so these are, you know, in terms of how I address it and how I seek these in order, we, we have to first have conversations. And one of the things uh, I'll bring up uh, somebody who I've seen on TV a number of times is, is Pete Buttigieg, um, who I think does a masterful job when you watch him on interviews on Fox News, on CBS, on The View, whatever channel you're on, he does this masterful job of really, he does pause regularly. Uh, he will paraphrase their question for them or their, their side. Um, and then he'll give his, his response after seeking that understanding. Anyway, a few thoughts on how do we go about doing this work? Hmm. So you, you, you're working, you've put in all of this time it's interesting earlier you mentioned, oh, I wanted to change from Nebraska, so I went to <laughs> Ames. Uh, you, so you did work there, and then you decided this is something that I want to do on a full-time basis. I wanted to yep. make a greater impact than sort of the silos of a school building. You launched Next Learning Solutions. Yep. Uh, tell us about the company. Yeah, so the company is, um, so So first of all, before I talk about that a little bit, I knew nothing about what it's like to be a consultant um, other than you know my interactions with consultants. And so I reached out to experts to find out what do I need to do. Um, and one, um, it's a nonprofit organization and it's called the Financial Empowerment Center. And they're housed in Des Moines um, but they serve folks all over the country. And the Financial Empowerment Center provided um, free consults for small business owners, for startups. I'm guessing there's other organizations like this around the country, I don't know, but they're, you know, they're funded um, by some donors. And so they're completely separated from the government. They're a nonprofit organization funded by external donors, and they provided some one-on-one -on -one consultations where they said, look, uh, you can't just consult, Chad. You need to have a business to do the consulting. And part of that is legal. Um, part of that is financial. Uh, so like the legal ramifications is if, if something happens, the business is liable for it, not me personally, if something negative happens, right? Um, and financially, the funds go through there and then I get paid as a 1099 employee through there. And so there's tax implications on uh, payroll taxes and all kinds of other things. And, and down the road, as the business grows, there's other implications. And so you wanna have that set up as an LLC. So, so they said, Chad, you need to set up a business as an LLC in order to do that. Guess what? We've got legal advice here at the Financial Empowerment mm -hmm. Center. We're going to set you up with an attorney. They're going to have to help you draft bylaws, and they're going to help you with register with the the state of Iowa as a small business. And guess what? We also have a small business class that we run periodically, and you can take this over the course of these six or seven weeks. And we go through things like legalese, 
like um, the importance of setting it up as an LLC and some of the financial tax implications. Um, they, they walked us through, um, they called it the uh, business model canvas, um, where you identify your vision and your mission and your um, revenue streams and your expenses. And you know, there's like, I don't know, seven different components to it. And so they walked us through that whole process. So having known nothing about what it means they really helped do that, you know, figure that out. Um, and then from there, then that's, that's, you know, that's what I'm under then is the Next Learning Solutions umbrella. And so you go to my website and the website is nextlearningsolutions.com. Um, and then I, you know, I, I wrote a couple of books and those are published under nextlearningsolutionspress.com. And so that, you know, then I had to file with the state as a, um, a doing business as, or a, they call it a fictitious name, which I think is hilarious, that, that term. But so, so I don't know if I even answered your question, Dr. Will, but there's, you know, lots of different components that we were helped with along the way in order to make uh, the business be a business um, as opposed to just me doing whatever. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you have to treat this as a business. Yes. And not just... I'm doing this or I am winging it right now. I know what happens with a lot of us who sort of start out. We don't start out with a business in mind, right? Especially right. if you're, you're one of those individuals like myself, you've just been presenting at conferences and you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're blogging, you're on Twitter. And then, so you meet someone at a conference who says, Hey, can you come to my school and do X, Y, and Z? What are your rates? Mm -hmm. So that those first couple of jobs you do, you, you may not even be thinking about this as a business. Like, oh, I'm right. doing this. Hey, it's some good little money. You know, I go on vacation, kids eat braces, whatever. But when you're thinking about doing this long term, that's when you have to think about the business. That's when you have to yeah. set it up as a business and understand how is this thing going to work and move forward and grow and set it up in such a way in which, you know, it can be successful. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the cool mm -hmm. thing about being a consultant is it is not that expensive <laughs> to, you know, to, to launch right. it. Right. Uh, right. So right. after going through all of that work, helping you figuring out you've launched uh your company what work does your company do i know earlier you mentioned about uh the importance of uh being uh sort of socially responsive in in, in the work that we're doing the care mm -hmm. we we take with with children but in terms of the uh services mm -hmm. uh, or coaching that you offer what does next solution next learning solutions provide yeah yeah well kind of kind of a few big rocks <clears throat> and that is <clears throat> excuse me um in training so training is a big big area right where you know a one-day training or two-day training or hopefully multiple days of training spread out over a period of time combined with then um, coaching services, because we know that <clears throat> when we're just trained, 
the likelihood of implementation is pretty darn low. I think some of the Joyce and Showers research says, you know, 10 to 15% implementation if we don't have uh, ongoing coaching and support. And so, uh, so that's a lot of the work is, you know, here's the training and then there's ongoing coaching and support. Um, and so that's kind of like two, two sides, but coaching and support can also happen without the training, you know, based on what does the school leader need. Um, you know, I can coach them without necessarily providing specific trainings. And then the third big area is really around collaborating uh, together. So, uh, which is very similar to coaching, but slightly light, slight shift on it because we're co-creating together. What are your needs? And together we're co-planning, uh, for instance, uh, working with the superintendent to co-plan some of their learning meetings during the course of the year. And so we're figuring out which which agenda items are most appropriate, which time of the year, which uh, protocols would be helpful. And then uh, like actually going in and planning and practicing those protocols together. So that way, when they get to doing that work with their staff, they've done it. So those are kind of the, the three big areas, if you will, of uh, the, the work that I'm doing with folks. Mm -hmm. So how did you go about developing uh, the work that you're doing in terms of your IP and creating a methodology that was unique to you, right? Something that is proprietary and something that possibly if you, you know, were to grow at a certain level, you could hire on another consultant or consultants and just mm -hmm. hand them the playbook to go do right. the work. Right. So uh, first, when you say IP, you mean like uh, the website IP uh, address? Or? Uh, intellectual property. Oh, intellectual property. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Wanted to make sure I was clear on each of those. Yeah. So um, again, the Financial Empowerment Center helped to say, you know what, you need to make sure that you get um, copyrights on these things. So I already held a copyright on my dissertation. And so I got a copyright on the book and a copyright on the action guide. Now, one thing that most people don't realize is that when you create something and it's yours, you automatically own the intellectual property for it. However, being able to prove it later down the road, if somebody takes it and goes on their own, could be a challenge. So that's why you register it as a copyright, is to make sure that if somebody picks up on it later on down the road, that you have a way to be able to prove that this is your work. And so uh, so my 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 book and a lot of the work is around PLC work. Um, the title is Let's Put the C in PLC. And so that, you know, that title is uh, copyrighted and those 10 elements that are associated with that are, you know, then copyrighted, uh, that property, intellectual property belongs to me. Um, and, you know, as I design courses and training materials, I have my logo and, and uh, I have a little, um, on the front cover of my book is a beautiful tree, a multicolored tree, and the leaves are hands of lots of different shapes, lots of different sizes and colors. And that is very colorful and cheery. And so that image then is part of all those materials. So that, as you said, down the road, um, if I were to you know, hire others to be part of the organization, those materials are all part of the Next Learning Solutions material. We're dropping some knowledge today, Chad. Um, so one of the greatest challenges of anyone who does this work, uh, particularly when 
you don't have if you don't have a national name or even a regional name because you know you may not you know you you may not have a name like you know someone says Eric Schinniger or people nationwide and say oh but within right. your region right so your state right. you you because of what you've been doing in terms of conferences you could be really known and you could be in demand and and quite mm-hmm. honestly you don't need to be internationally known you could be reasonably known and still make a lot of money mm-hmm. but until that happens and when you have that name like a coke mm-hmm. you have to make sure that you're sort of marketing yourself and branding yourself in a way in which you do become coke and someone someone's right. mind you know or mountain right. dew or whatever you have it so how have you been doing the work of sort of marketing so that you could build uh, a client base and what tips do you have for other educational consultants yeah uh well starting with the tip and then i'll go into what i've actually done uh, so the tip is just work your tail off uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I am not a salesman, uh, so I'm not very good at selling myself. Uh, I'm good at doing the content. I'm good at presenting it. I'm good at engaging folks in it. I mean, I'm good at helping organizations move forward and get better and do the work that they want to do. What I'm not good is selling myself on <laughs> doing those types of things. So it's a struggle for me. It's a challenge for me. So I, I work my tail off at it. And so, uh, you know, the website is really key. Social media presence is really critical with uh, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn is, are the ones I use. Um, email distribution lists, just contacts with folks, kind of like what you mentioned, you know, when you're at conferences and you're, you know, people, you know, those contacts with folks is really critical. Uh, all these things, you know, all just add up uh, to to uh, be able to get clients. Um, and um, you, I think it takes time too. It's not something that you know all of a sudden overnight you're going to be making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, it's it's going to take some time for people to to gain that recognition, unless you already have it, which. Um, you know, there may be a few folks out there that do, but uh, most most folks, it just takes some time and a lot of effort. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So now we kind of briefly hit on this a little bit prior to the recording, but I want to uh, kind of get into pricing a bit. Not to ask you about your prices, but there's many ways that you can price what you do. I know some people will do it by the hour. They would do about some people do about the project. Some people say, hey, if we're going to do six months, Mm -hmm. this package is going to cost this much money. When you because, you know, what you did was very interesting because, again, you went to that uh, center and you took that that course and you were able to learn things that a lot of educators who do that who do this work don't start off with right when you had to to again look at your prices and how you're going to sort of set things up again if i'm going to do this one this 
this one training, what is that price going to look like? If I'm going to do this coaching for this many days, what is that going to look like? And the jackpot, not only in transformation, but also in the coin is the long term where you can actually right. work, with, work with someone as well. What is that going to look like? Right. What was your process in looking at what you were offering and sort of determining what that pricing structure was going to look like, particularly in understanding that you're working for a school that you're talking, you're targeting school districts right. and not a corporate entity, <clears throat> right? Like now, right. no lie. There are some schools shilling out money for consultants. They, 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 they are, yep. they are, yep. but whereas let's just say I could be Gary V and Adobe reaches out to me and they say, hey, we want you to do this keynote. And Gary V says, okay, I want $40,000. Uh, Adobe will more than likely will pay that price. Right. No school district is going to pay $40,000 for a keynote. Right. <laughs> Not going to happen. So, <laughs> and, and knowing that reality as well, particularly you coming from the inside. Right. Okay, knowing, okay, I've, I've been on the end myself hiring consultants to come in and all those things. How did you figure out how your pricing structure would look like? Yeah, so I, I'm still figuring out a little bit, um, you know, it, particularly as business has picked up. Um, but one of the things I, I've tried to do is to, just like my services are customized to the school and the district, to customize the proposal to the school and the district. So um, kind of have a, you know, like a baseline here, here's my daily rate. But if a school district is wanting me, for instance, for 12 days over the course of a year, that daily rate is going to be significantly different than someone that just come that wants me to come in for one day. <clears throat> partly because it's a long-term relationship, mm -hmm. partly because I also, uh, you know, I know that we're gonna have an impact. And I'm not in this for the money. Um, I've been fortunate. I've been, you know, in systems for a while. Um, I was administrator. Finances are not something where, gosh, I better make a lot of money. Uh, that's not my point in life, really. And so um, having been on the other side and know what districts finances are like, I don't want to just milk them for all the cash I can. I want to be of service. And through that, I want to make a living, but I don't need to, you know, have a second or third or fourth home. I don't need to have a beach house. I don't, you know, whatever. Fly, fly first class. I, I'm, I'm okay just doing the work. And so, uh, so my proposals have been customized very much to those systems, what they're looking for, depending on the number of days that they need. Is that, that kind of helpful? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause people need, people, people need to understand this because, you know, especially what happens when you are doing this again, when you never thought about doing this and someone waves a fee out there the first time, it's easy to become enamored mm -hmm. with a number. So let's say, so for right. example, someone says, hey, can you come out uh, for the day and do this workshop for $1,500? Now, one, we're educators. So normally we make every day. I mean, make every month. If someone says, hey, here's $1,500 for the day, the right. average person is going to be like, I'm going to take that because, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a day's, yeah, uh, just yeah. a day. Yep. And so that's very attractive. 
But yep. when you're trying to do business, $1,500 for the day is very low money. Right. Now, I can't tell you what to charge. It's not my job in doing this podcast. It's not my interest in doing that. I just want to lay it on the line for you, though. Yep. yep. $1,500 for the day is just that's really low. And one of the things that, uh, you know, many entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs starting out don't realize is, uh, or anybody else who hears that $1,500 number, is that out of that $1,500 comes a whole bunch of stuff that, that is hidden. Like when I get paid from a, when I was an employee of a school district, the school district paid some payroll taxes on my behalf, right? Social Security and Medicare and unemployment, I don't know what all. I have to pay that now as an as a consultant. And so that $1500 right away straight off the top without going anywhere is now 1275 um because of the payroll taxes. So so that's I mean just now 1275 still isn't bad, but now out of that 1275 you've got other expenses for your business. Um whatever those might be. Um and then you know one day might be one day but it might be three days because you're traveling one day to get there and one day while you're there and one day while you're traveling back. And then in order to do a one day training, you're probably got, if, if you're really good, you probably got at least a minimum of two days of preparation for that one day. So all of a sudden that $1,500 that sounded really good for one day is really at minimum five days worth of work, probably more like six or seven days of work. And after your payroll taxes, you're get, you're down to 150 to 200 dollars per day. So your daily rate, if you're at 1500 dollars, could be actually quite a bit less than that, even though it sounds like it's a really good 1500 dollars. So I don't know if any of that made sense, but um, hopefully it's helpful to folks who are thinking about being an entrepreneur. And and if you're not, just understanding that the you know the, those folks folks who are consultants aren't really um, racking in as much as you might think that they are. the taxes for sure you're for sure i i i just recently had someone reach out to me about doing a gig and you know we talked and i said okay yeah i'll do this and then i reached back out to them and i said listen i need to do this and i need for this much money because i need to get a 1099 I don't want to. I don't want to check without a 1099, because when when I go to the CPA, I don't. I want as many 1099s that I ha- that I can grab right. to give to them, because again, those are tax implications of stuff in terms of being able to deduct uh, certain expenses. So you want to make sure you do that. And I and, and you know, uh, Angela Myers was on my documentary, The Entrepreneur. Go get your digital copy at vimeo.com. She said, when she was talking about things, you don't pay me for my time, you pay me for my experience and my knowledge. Correct. Right. Which to me should be a factor in how do you determine your your, your prices, understanding that it may be, in reality, it may be, let's say a day of my time, eight hours of my time. Right. And I know you mentioned, okay, these many days of preparation, but what they're really paying for is the knowledge and experience that you have to solve their problem. That's exactly right. Yep. Right. And so this is why I want people to, again, 
I'm not telling you what to charge, <laughs> but make sure that what you charge is some sort of fair market value. Even if right. you're not going to be out here and charge what some of the elite people charge, but make sure that you're not being taken advantage of because there are some conferences that will do that. And there are some school districts that will, that will, will do that, right. you know, cause I've had people try to come to me for the okie doke and I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't, right. Can't right. do it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Wow. Wow. So I want to ask you, you this, uh, Wow, I can't, I'm just just like so amazed that you went through that, you know, that training, which I have have not done. I've been going to like YouTube to get my little MBA to try to, you know, get this information. Uh, when you you're okay, you're on Twitter. Um, I don't know how much traveling you're doing now. I'm not doing any, so I am loving what I'm doing because I'm doing live webinars with schools, with wow. teachers, right? I'm loving it. Cause I'm not leaving my, I'm not leaving my home office and the money coming. So I'm loving it. Mm -hmm. But in your travels, if you've had the opportunity to speak to other consultants or even on Twitter or LinkedIn, what have you been able to gain from them? Right. Uh, in those conversations, you know, so inside game, so to speak, uh, that you have found to be useful for you? Um, yeah. Um, so the the inside game that I found out hasn't been from travel. It's been from calling up different consultants um, mm. who I know and just saying, you know, or emailing them and say, hey, would you be willing to you know, let me pick your brain for a little bit? Um, and some of the key insights that I gained is um, I'm thinking of one consultant in particular said, you know, um, particularly when you're starting out, you may have to be giving away some stuff for free. Um, and so I've been doing some of that. I have some uh, in a mini course, I ran one in February, another one in March, one in June, one in July. And the vast majority of those participants are people that I invited uh, because I knew who they were um, and, you know, and had a relationship with them and wanted to, you know, get my, get my foot in the door, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And said, "Hey, would you like to attend? Co you know, compliments of me, um, or if there's some somebody else in your organization who would like to attend." Um, and so that has really opened up a lot of doors uh, and additional connections by doing that, which then is leading to other, uh, you know, paid gigs in those districts. Um, and so um, that that was some of the advice that they gave me. It might be counterintuitive. Uh, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't know. Uh, but so far. Um, it, it's done a couple of things. It's first, it's not only gotten, uh, you know, opened some opportunities, but it also has helped me refine some of my knowledge and skills in those areas that I hadn't, uh, that previously uh, weren't as honed as they are definitely now. You know, when you do these courses several times, you're getting better at it. Every time you're in front of someone, you're getting better at it. And so that's been helpful as well. Mm -hmm. uh, who is an entrepreneur that, you look up to who you say they're doing it right. 
Ah, there's, there's um, several that I think of, but the first one that comes to my mind right away is a gentleman by the name of Thomas Van Sulen. Um, and he is out of Atlanta. And I've been able to attend a number of his workshops at the Learning Forward Conference. Uh, he's re recently written, he's written a couple of books, but the most recent one is absolutely amazing. Uh, it's called Meeting Goals. Uh, and it's published by Solution Tree. And mm. it's it's a collection of resources on how to help meetings run more effectively through the use of protocols. And so he has organized these protocols by intention and then laid out step-by-step step how they should go based on his experience with even uh, sample language to use uh, if you, you need language to help make these meetings work more effectively. Uh, and he's been, I think he's been consulting six, seven or eight years. Um, and, and just a good guy, solid educator, incredibly intelligent and knows his stuff. And, um, I just have tremendous respect for him and for his work and the work that he's doing with schools. All right. So before we go, what is your advice, uh, to that educator who, has been thinking that, uh, that it's time. It's time for them. Mm -hmm. they, they've been in the conference circuit. They've been doing the work and they're ready to start doing this for real. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I'm not sure if I'm the one to ask for advice, um, but I guess if I look back on my career, I would say things that I've done that might be helpful for others is um, as much as the, the speaking conferences are good, making sure that you're doing the work day to day with your system and with your colleagues um, so that you've got really quality experiences to draw upon and go mm. back to <clears throat> and that lever that create credibility. You know, for example, for me, I led a district where we, we were able to take five out of seven schools from you know, persistently lowest achieving to national models. I've done the work. It's not that I'm just, you know, touting research or touting my own thoughts or beliefs. This is based on what actually works. Yes, and yes. so if you can have that to draw upon, that's invaluable. Wow. Yes, sir. Receipts, as they say in the street. That's right. That's receipts, right. Receipts. You, you got the receipts. You, you got to mm -hmm. have the receipts, uh, which is why uh i don't do anything that's not related to my job mm -hmm. so the nine to five that i do every day uh in terms of you know the work and the skills that i've been able to to garner and working with teachers because i use um you know those examples you know when i when i and working. So if I'm, for example, I am doing working with someone on how to design uh, an online course, you know, I will say, hey, you know, I have worked, I work with a teacher or I have worked with a teacher, you know, this is how they have set, set their stuff up uh, right. and speaking, speaking with them. So, yep. you know, again, as you said, having those experience and the receipts of actually I'm doing the work. <laughs> I'm not out, you know, I'm not out here 
just in this online learning game, which right. I was so ticked off because all of a sudden online learning became important. Mm-hmm. And so many people that I didn't see any, I didn't see them tweet about online learning on Twitter beforehand. Now they're tweeting mm-hmm. about online learning. Right. And right. I, I'm going, hmm. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's an opera opportunipreneur (laughs) (laughs) wow that's your next podcast show there that's how you do that's how you do but yeah you gotta you you know like you said you gotta do the work so uh, i appreciate you talking about that and i appreciate you chad for coming on and uh wow just dropping so many gems today thank you for coming on my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you're welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, and Audible. I need you to subscribe. I need you to follow. I need you to share. And though I am on all major podcast platforms, I am trying to grow on Apple Podcasts. So I need you to listen to the podcast. I need you to give me some ratings and I need you to give me some reviews because not only are we doing dope things around here, but I want to get Oprah on the show, right? And I need her to know how we do it. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Chad Dumas, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.